everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Normal Christian Life. It's me, Father Christopher Trummer, and I'm here joined again by my brother, Michael. And then we're also joined today by a special guest who's a very dear friend of mine, Father Tony Cecil, priest of the Archdiocese of Louisville, Kentucky. And Father Tony and I became very good friends going way back to when we were both in college seminary in Indianapolis. We really kept in touch over the years, and just as my my brother and I, and also Joe, who's not with us today, but just as we've all experienced a lot of renewal, the Lord bringing us through all kinds of things in life, uh, and particularly how we've all uh, discovered the Holy Spirit, Father Tony's also had uh, a very powerful journey with the Lord and, and through many different seasons, and even more recently, uh, discovering the power of the Holy Spirit in some um, some really amazing ways, and that's impacted his ministry. So, something else that I think Father Tony specifically has a, a powerful testimony for is the way the Lord redeems suffering, the way the Lord brings us through uh, just valley experiences, uh, times where. Maybe there's some kind of turmoil in our life. So that's what we, I kind of wanted to start with that. Uh, give Turn it over to Father Tony here and ask him to share a little bit about how the Lord has, uh, has brought him to where he is today, um, but kind of starting with maybe some of those tough seasons and, and coming out of his um, his vocation, his early life, and then his his uh, now in his priesthood. So yeah, take it away, Tony. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Um yeah, so when Father Christopher reached out to to ask me to share on this topic, I uh, I was like, oh good, I get to talk about the crappy parts of life. <laughs> uh, but there's been a lot of uh, beauty in it too. So um, I guess to start, um, just really quickly about my my early life and and kind of the the background I was coming out of. So I was. Uh, born and raised in uh, central Kentucky, about an hour south of Louisville. And I was raised in a, a very unique family. Um, I was raised by a single parent, and that single parent was my dad, which is very uncommon. Most people, if they have a single parent, were raised by their mom. Now, my mom was always a part of my life. Um, her and my dad divorced when I was still a baby, but mom lived very close and she has always been a part of my life. And I, f- I find that as a, a huge blessing from the Lord uh, because my parents worked really hard to raise me together to make sure that they were both present to me. Uh, but um, I was, as a result of this, incredibly close with my father. And my dad just, um, he is kind of the foundation of, of how I became who I am. Um, his upbringing directly, you know, impacted my upbringing. Certainly his faith directly impacted my faith. So that's where it starts. That I, I grew up with a single parent. I'm a child of divorce. Um, people think that priests come from perfect families, but the only perfect family, I guess, is the holy family. So those don't exist outside of that. Um, and as a child growing up with a single parent, another thing that kind of, uh, layered it, right? So I already had this awareness that I was different because I would see kids with their mom uh, a lot of times when it was me with my dad, but also I would see kids with their parents together and there would be times when they were together, but a lot of the time it was just me and my dad. Another thing that kind of layered on top of this was 
Um, I was a surprise. <laughs> I think that's a better word than accident. Um, so I was a surprise child. My dad was in his early 50s when I was born, uh, but he had a lot of health problems. And so a lot of my childhood uh, was also that experience of, of going to the doctor with my dad, of seeing the different ways that he was struggling with his health. It wasn't constant, but it was regular. Um, and so that definitely kind of painted a, a different picture of how other kids might have grown up. Maybe just a quick question, and maybe we'll get more on this later because you're just giving an overview, but during this time of just when you're younger and your dad has health that's not so good, were you, and your faith, was that faith something you found as a, was that a consolation for you, or was it not so much the case? And again, I don't know if you're going to get into that later, but it is something that kind of came to mind. No, no, I'm like, glad as you As you're going through that. that. Yeah, like if my faith was the consolation, was that the question? Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely was. I think it was more, I don't know if this makes sense, it's a thread that has woven through my whole life, but I think it, it was definitely a consolation for dad. And I saw that, right? I saw how that was consoling to him and that helped it be consoling for me. So I don't know how strong it really was for me, but I saw how powerful and how strong it was for dad, if that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, that was a very critical part about all of that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so uh, I grow up, I changed schools quite a bit. Uh, I went to one Catholic school that closed. The next Catholic school was too far away. So I went to public school for four years uh, to two different schools. I went to one school for fifth grade and then to another school for middle school. And then I came back to Catholic schools for high school. So there's also just the challenge that any kid will go through. If, you, if a kid moves around a lot, we didn't move. I just switched schools. So there's almost that sense of um, stability that wasn't totally there, at least in that realm and that sphere. When I was uh, either 13 or 14 years old, I was in eighth grade, I was preparing for confirmation. Um, one of my brothers passed away. So I have seven half siblings. And because I was a surprise, um, all of them are, are older than I. And so um, the closest in age to me is this brother uh, who is 10 years older than me. And he's actually the only one that I remember being in the house. Um, when I was a kid. So like, I, and this is so weird, but you all know that I'm weird. Like I remember I have these, these memories of like very, very early on, like having to be reminded that my siblings were my siblings um, because they were just older and their children were my age. But with this brother, um, that wasn't the case. I remember him. I remember him being in the home. Uh, to be honest, we didn't have a great relationship, but he, he's the one that I remember. And when I was in the eighth grade, he passed away. He actually took his own life. And that was a um, incredibly, um, like difficult, doesn't even seem like the right word, um, incredibly difficult thing to experience. One, um, it was one of like two or three times I saw my dad cry. Um, I saw how it impacted my mother, but it also... Uh, my brother and I were at a place where we were working on a better relationship and it felt like that was taken away. Um, and so that was a time when there was a lot of struggle, but just as in the other scenarios, um, it was also a time where God showed up. <laughs> it 
So there, in this specific experience, I remember I was very angry with God and um, specifically about that that relationship had been taken away. And I remember I was cleaning a room in our house and um, I opened a closet and there was this box there that I didn't recognize. And I had never seen it there before. Um, I don't know where it came from. And in this box, there were uh, letters that my brother had sent me. And I remember sitting there and reading them and one, just feeling this great consolation, almost like I was having a conversation with him again, because in these letters, he was teaching me like he was being a big brother, but also just this like overwhelming experience of, uh, of God saying, I'm here and I see you. Um, yeah, so that was a big instance of, of that, of being able to see God's presence very clearly in a time of really, uh, deep suffering in a time of great darkness. And like I said, that thread uh, was always there. So I had these experiences and there are more I could go into, but I won't, <laughs> I just don't feel called to share them. Um, you have to invite me back for the, for the others, but the, uh, the thread that's there, right. Is every time we, uh, we experienced a difficulty or every time something bad happened, God gave myself, gave my father this great gift of being able to see his presence very, very clearly. And this great knowledge of the fact that we weren't alone and the fact that he was going to take care of us. Um, I just preached on this two weeks ago, I think, this, this kind of uh, presence of God in my dad's life that echoed throughout his life that he taught me um, is the truth that God keeps his promises, right? And so um, God's fidelity was a really strong, strong presence um, in my life going through all of these different situations. Um, so that's kind of my early life. Um, after I got out of high school, I entered the seminary, and I, I went into college seminary in Indianapolis where I met you all, uh, a few years later, I think I was a junior when you all came to the seminary. I, uh, I entered the seminary, went through seminary formation. Um, and during that time in seminary, um, I realized I had a couple of experiences that were just bad. Like nothing like, like bad, just not having great experiences in different situations, different ministry experiences that I had. And one thing that, that finally came of that, which was bad but also good, was this realization a very close friend of mine helped me see that I likely had some type of anxiety disorder. And so she really encouraged me when I was studying theology to seek out help for that. So I did, and I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Um, and I remember um, when that came, it was uh, shattering in a way. Like there was a goodness and that I was going to get help, but it was also shattering in a way because I felt like something was wrong with me. Um, and I wondered how this was going to um, impact my life in general, how it would impact my life as a priest, how it would um, impact my ministry. And I, I think it came with a, a, a sense of some unworthiness that I was uh, broken and uh, that's something that I struggled with for a really long time. Uh, but thankfully, uh, through God's grace and, uh, you know, I always see God's presence in the gifts that he gives people, especially people like therapists. 
and, and medical professionals. Uh, I've come through that. I, I'm at a point where I'm not on medication anymore. Um, but even then, I saw in, in that struggle with anxiety, I was able to see um, God's presence in that I felt it was an invitation to rely on him more. <clears throat> and later, um, I realized that I wasn't very good at that. <laughs> um, and so uh, I was ordained to the priesthood in uh, May of 2019. And your first year as a priest is typically like you're on cloud nine. Like both of you have been priests for over a year now. Your first year of priesthood is amazing. Um, and it just... I did become a priest during COVID, but... Oh, okay. So yeah. maybe not, <laughs> not quite good. so... All right. Father Michael wins. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful, but I wouldn't, you know... Yeah, it, it wasn't not be typical. The typical first year priesthood. It wasn't yeah. typical, yeah. And I guess mine wasn't either, like halfway through the pandemic happened. So like my first Easter was in an empty church, which was kind of awful, but, but even before the pandemic, so it sounds strange to say, but the first year that I was a priest, kind of the first year and a half was the absolute worst year of my life. <laughs> and I want to say in that I at no point doubted my vocation. I at no point regretted my ordination to the priesthood. I at no point uh, had a thought that God did not call me to this and that I had made a mistake, which was a, get, a great gift from him. But um, what I came to realize was in the course of a month, uh, literally everything about my life changed. And it was very overwhelming. So uh, it starts in May. In May of 2019, I graduate from the seminary. And I had been, you know, I was 26 years old. I had been a student since I was five. I'd been in school for 21 years. Suddenly I was done with school and no idea what, what will happen in the future. Am I going to be sent back to school? Will I never step foot in a classroom again? Who knows? Um, so that was a big change. Um, I went from living in a building with like 120 other guys to living and a rectory with one other priest that I didn't know that well. Um, I went from learning about ministry to doing it. And uh, I always joke with people, you know, in seminary we learn so much, but the list of things that seminary can't teach us is very, very long. And so there's a lot of just figuring it out as you go. So already that's a lot of transition. That's a lot of change for any person to deal with. Uh, and there are naturally going to be some challenges there. Just more, just more instability in your life. More instability. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I was trained by Benedictines and stability is a vow they make, right? So it's like, this is really important to me. Um, and, and also like my first assignment was beautiful, but it had its own challenge in that I, um, I did not live with the pastor that I ministered with. I lived at a different parish. And I served two very different parishes on opposite ends of the city. Um, and, and that pairing of parishes was new. It hadn't been done before. And so it was just a whole lot of new happening at once that was going to be coming up. So um, all of that happens. I'm ordained to the priesthood at the very end of May. And I, it was beautiful. I had this beautiful experience of ordination of my whole life changing. Uh, at my first Mass of Thanksgiving, I had the great blessing of receiving my mom into full communion with the church, which is its own 
uh, story that Father Christopher uh, was a part of as well. Um, it started a, a year before that in, in Italy with a, an experience of prayer and ended with confirming my mom at my first mass, which I never thought would happen. Um, and so there was a lot of joy. Um, shortly after that, though, so my father had been very, very sick. And um, a, a month or two months before I graduated from the seminary, he went into hospice care because there was nothing they could do. Um, and I did not handle that news well. I uh, kind of lost it in the hospital. And I remember at one point my dad um, calling me to his hospital room. And uh, and there he made me a promise. And, and this goes back to that kind of echo in my dad's life of God's fidelity. And the promise that he made me was um, that he was going to live to see my first Mass of Thanksgiving and my ordination, of course, before that. But he said, after that, I want to go home. And I knew what going home meant. Wow. And um, I remember asking my dad, um, how do you know you can keep that promise? Because that was something about dad that I always admired is whenever he made a promise, he kept it. And he said, um, <laughs> I told the Lord that this is what I needed, and he promised it would happen. And God keeps his promises. So uh, it did happen that way. So I was ordained, and dad was there. He was in the front row of the cathedral, um, and he was alert the whole mass. And uh, at my first Mass of Thanksgiving, he was there in the front row. Uh, he was the life of the party at the reception afterwards that my parish put on, my home parish. And um, after that, he um, started declining pretty quickly. Um, I was actually away from home when my father died uh, at the ordination of another friend of mine. And I remember um, dad was not totally, like when someone's at the end of their life, oftentimes they'll, they'll have these moments where they're not totally there, like mentally. And dad was kind of going in and out of that. But there was a moment when he was, not a moment, a, a, a span of a day where he was totally there. Like I walked in his room and he was sitting up watching the Western Channel, <laughs> watching the, the same episode of Gunsmoke for the millionth time. And I remember he, he had overheard me talking about struggling with this decision of, do I go to my friend's ordination or do I stay here? The, the hospice team that was taking care of dad said that he had a couple of weeks left and so I shouldn't worry, but of course I was still worrying. And, um, and he, he had heard all of that, even though he couldn't respond. And so now that he was in a place to respond, he said he wanted me to go that my being there was not going to make him less sick uh, and that he wanted me to go. So I did. And I think this was intentional on my father's part um, because I would not have been able to handle being there when he passed away. And um, so I was away when that happened. And um, yeah, so he died uh, one week after my first mass. So a week and one day after I was ordained to the priesthood and he was my very first funeral that I celebrated was my dad's funeral. Yeah. So all of these first were with my family. So the first person I confirmed was my mother. The first person I gave first communion to was my mother. Uh, my dad was the first person I gave the anointing of the sick to, and I didn't have oil with me. And so I got to do the blessing of an, of oil. If you don't have it, 
uh, and thankfully mom had oil that we could use. Um, and then he was my first funeral. So it was this beautiful experience, even though it was painful, right? It was this beautiful experience of God because as a priest, we're always a priest. <laughs> like we can't, we can't set aside our ordination. And so it was beautiful that at the very beginning of my priesthood, I was able to, um, I was able to minister to the two people who gave me my life and who gave me so much. Um, and who had gotten me to that point. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, sorry, I'm tearing up. Father Chris is about to say something. (laughs) I'm an emotional wreck. No, it's absolutely incredible story. What I think is like really striking to me about it is like, is the power of, of a father's faith. Um, in particular, and you know, you hear, we hear about a lot of people who grow up in, in single parent homes and the challenge of that. And, uh, just looking at, you know, we'll get into all the numbers, but the statistics recently about like how different it is for a father to be committed to practice his faith, uh, even compared to a mother. And it's so, uh, indispensable, like the father's faith. And so even with the extreme challenge your dad had of, of raising you, uh, for a long time by himself, uh, the fact that he really believed, he really practiced his faith was just uh, made all the difference. I wanted to go back to uh, a part, like just, just really quickly, earlier in your dad's story, whenever he was, I think it was when he was sick with cancer for the first time, um, didn't he have a, a kind of like encounter with the Lord where he like he knew that he had to come back kind of like he, he was like almost dying and he, and he had to come back to raise you. I, I was literally thinking of that and I was like, man, I didn't fit it in. I'm just going to move on. So thank you for, for bringing it back. Yeah. So there was a story that my dad would tell me when I was a kid and that day, um, that day toward the end of seminary, when I was in the hospital room with him, he told it to me again. And it's the story of, um, actually, when my mother was pregnant with me, um, or maybe before she was pregnant with me, I can't exactly remember the detail, but one of the things with my dad is he had a a really bad problems with his heart. And so he had multiple heart attacks. He had congestive heart failure a couple times. And it was one of these instances where he, he told the story of having a heart attack and, uh, of being taken to the emergency room and basically like coding, like they were, um, full medical team crash cart in there trying to revive him. And he was not coming back. He was not being resuscitated. And there's the story that, that I've been told from the doctor's perspective of, of almost giving up, but deciding like, let's try one more time to do the, the pedals and to shock my dad's heart back into rhythm. And thankfully uh, the doctor ordered that and it happened. But the way my dad would tell the story is when this happened, he had uh, like a near death experience or a a vision that the Lord gave him or whatever it would be. And it was this basically just this bright, bright light, this great feeling of love and of warmth and of peace. And my dad said he remembers feeling uh, a hand on his shoulder as if someone's arm was wrapped around him. And he just heard a voice say, you're not finished yet. And that's it. And so my dad always said when I was a kid that he felt that you're not finished yet was because he needed to raise me because 
you know, shortly after that I was born. So fast forward 26 years and we're back at that same hospital, (laughs) this very same hospital in a different part. And dad tells me that story again when he makes me that promise. And he said, you know, now I know this is why I'm here. My job was to raise you, to show you how much Jesus loves you and how much the church loves you and to teach you how to love them back and to give you to them as a priest. And now I feel like I've done my job and I can go. Um, So yeah, just this beautiful, um, like radical trust and providence (laughs) that he had and like abandonment to just letting God be in control, Um, which I have... I'm still trying to learn, (laughs) right? Uh, There have been a few instances in the last few weeks where my version of it has been, Jesus, fix it. (laughs) Just let him fix it. And he has in the instances where I've told him. But yeah. I know you've um, reflected on this and you've you've spoken on it and shared your story a lot of times, or at least parts of your story with with different people. And um, it kind of seems like there is... Like there, I mean, you can imagine this would be true for a lot of people, but that there's been kind of like layers to the healing that you've experienced, or sort of like different levels of, like I know um, you were really working through, obviously in the year or so after your dad died, like just this healing journey that you were on, and um, seeing uh, really the Lord showing you the meaning of it and like how the value of your dad's faith, even through all his suffering and how, you know, like you said, he brought you to be able to be, um, to grow up with your faith, to grow up with your vocation, to become a priest. Uh, it, it seemed like there was a, a shift that happened later too, though, where, um, and I, I don't know how else to describe it, but I know in, for myself, there've been times where I kind of, uh, you know, I became vulnerable and I wanted to, like go there with the Lord. Like I wanted to in prayer and, and, and even like in counseling and stuff, like to really go into suffering and just my own brokenness and things and my own uh, wounds to go in their head, head first and to really face it, to confront it uh, because I was convinced that like the Lord wanted to heal it. One of the, the temptations for me was that I could get kind of like stuck in the, uh, like that personal work of like healing, almost like um like an endless process of healing. And just to be clear, like I, I do believe that the process of healing is like lifelong in the sense that, you know, we're not going to be fully healed uh, until we're on the other side of death and we're raised. So there is a, there is a lifelong element of healing, but I know in like making that a, a priority and like going into your healing, I know for myself, maybe you can, you can speak to that if this was a temptation for you or if you got stuck in this point where you kind of um you it can be maybe become super introspective or like you can get kind of stuck in that place of like um going from seeing God at work in your suffering or going from like uh seeing how God was present through your suffering to like festering or like or getting stuck there just basically like uh and like my whole way of relating to God is through my suffering. And so like, there's almost like an incentive to uh, not embrace the full reality of freedom because like I shared this like in a few episodes ago about like my experience of being forgiven of like of my sins and like that 
amazing experience of God's mercy in my sinfulness, it it tempted the temptation for me was to always relate to God from a place of like unworthiness and brokenness and even like to you know even shame. So, how do you see that like in your own story? Because I know like just being in touch with you and talking to you over the last several years, especially since your dad's death, there seems to have been some like really like a new freedom that came. Um, just like maybe you could comment on like how you approached healing differently over every different periods in your life and how the Lord brought you to like a new place of freedom. Cause I really, I see it in you in an amazing way, just a new freedom and a new joy that even when you were doing the healing work very intensely before, wasn't, wasn't always there that much. Mm. No, that's, that's great. And that's where I was kind of hoping to get to, but I'm so chatty. So, um, I think, um, that happened very intensely in that first year, year and a half that I said was basically the worst year of my life and and coming out of that year into who I am now. I am a, um, thank you, Lord. I am a completely different person than I was a year ago, than I was two years ago, than I was three years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so what really happened is, um, and I'm a storyteller, so I'm just going to tell it through story if that's okay. So in, in 2019, all of that change was happening. And with my dad's death being part of it, it, it was, it was really more than I could handle. And, um, it, it was incredibly overwhelming, but the thing was I put so much pressure on myself to be the priest that I thought people needed and wanted to see. In other words, when, like I said earlier, when we're first ordained, we're so joyful, we're so, you know, zealous and people love that. That's attractive to people. And people would say it to me, like, it's so great to have a young priest here. We've never had a young priest. It's, it's so great to see how joyful you are. And I've shared, you know, with you all and, and publicly with you all there, like every time someone said that, it felt like a dagger in my heart because I knew that it was fake (laughs) because I was working very hard to put up a facade, to put on a mask because I was, I, I didn't realize how to be vulnerable with this to the people that I served, right? In an appropriate way, because I'm there to serve them. They, they're they not there to serve me. Especially like when you're right, right out of the gate of priesthood where it's like, I've been waiting my whole time in seminary to like be my able to minister to people and like to come out the gate, like limping in a sense where it's like, no, actually I need people to minister to me. And I need, it's, um, yeah, it really, I've, you know, it's, I mean, it's always challenging as the person whose role it is to minister, to let people minister to you, but especially whenever you, you haven't established those relationships, like you haven't uh, built, you know, people, you haven't had the relationships where you can be vulnerable. Uh, you're just, yeah, you're not secure yet in your identity as a priest. Like it just had to be so difficult to like to let people relate to you that way when you're uh, suffering that way. Yeah. Someone on my staff at the time said um, very accurately, but they said, it's like you were ordained and you walked out of the cathedral and fell flat on your face and you're trying to get back up. And that like, I'm smiling as I say that, cause it was true. Like that's how I felt. So, um, so entering into this time, one of the things that I didn't realize in, in the struggle was I was putting up th- this facade. I, I was being who I thought I should be instead of who I was, right? 
And there was a, another member of the staff who, especially since I'm so young, I'm the youngest priest in the archdiocese, especially since I was not a pastor. Um, the women on the staff kind of mothered me <laughs> like they were additional moms. And there's this one in particular whose office was right next to mine, who is still a very, very dear friend to me, definitely a second mom an intercessor, all of that good stuff. And she came in my office one day and I was on the floor in the corner sobbing. And she said, we're done. This is not healthy. We're finding you some help. And, um, that was a big, that was pivotal. That was big. And so we prayed together. She helped me talk to my pastor about this and he helped me find a solid Catholic counselor. Who's a very holy, prayerful woman that I still see not as frequently, but I still see her. And, and through that, I was diagnosed with major depression. I had every single um, symptom of major depression except suicidal ideation. And so um, I, I got like medical help that I needed in addition to spiritual help of people praying for me. And when I say I talked about this with Father Christopher, like I was at a point where I felt like I couldn't even pray. Right. And so I had to accept people's prayers for me as also them praying almost on my behalf, which sounds weird, but it's the only way I could work it out with God at that moment. You're like the, you're like the paralytic, you know, being lowered to the roof. It's like, we don't really hear about his faith or, or his, uh, <laughs> like his, he didn't really have a lot of initiative at that point. Yeah. He just, he got brought in by people who are looking out for him and, and yeah, that was what he needed. Yeah. So in, um, and all of that, I'm getting, I'm getting psychiatric help, medical help, all of that. I'm working on, on deepening my prayer life and, and trying to live this, trying to live what my dad witnessed to me, this, this dependence on God and asking for God's help. Um, in the midst of all of that, you know, the pandemic comes and that was actually a gift. I would say I feel bad, like a half million people died, but I needed that time to shut down and to process and, um, and it actually ended up being a, a huge gift to me to get to be able to do that. Um, so in the midst of all of that, at the end of 2020, I, um, I had an injury with my leg, right? And it's something I didn't mention is even in the midst of getting all of this help and, and doing all the work that needed to be done, what was behind it all that I was not recognizing was an, a, a deep and an incredible anger with God. That was at the, at the root of all of it and a hurt. And that um, is, that is super hard for people to admit a lot of times yeah. and like times it by a hundred when you're a priest, like to admit that you're not just like confused or frustrated with life or angry at circumstances, but to admit that you're angry at God. It's like, I can't be angry at God. I'm a priest. Exactly. Especially as a yeah. priest. Yeah. And this is probably a topic to fully address another time, but there's a sense of we know what ideal priesthood looks like. We know what ideally what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's a you know a spouse in a marriage. They know what a healthy marriage looks like, but you can't really just shortcut like well, you know, really solid married couples. They don't get into these arguments. They don't have these really painful, vulnerable conversations, and it's not messy. So therefore, I'm just gonna shortcut my way to that, and I'm gonna imitate the external appearances but it's like you you can't shortcut your way there it's like if someone has a arrow in their leg it's like well you know healthy people they they don't wince around and they 
walk confidently. It's like, well, <laughs> we have to get this, you know, air out of your leg. And so if there's this anger, yeah, it's like, well, a good, a good disciple, a good priest would, it's like we, we repress it in a certain way. And so that's just like a good, uh, just to pause on that point for really quickly, that's just a huge lesson for the spiritual life. I mean, this Sunday we had a, a reading from uh, Job and just the, the Job is like praise commended by God. God says that Job, Job has spoken rightly of me. And he says that Job's friends have not spoken rightly about him. It's not because they didn't have like the technically correct theological answers. Like they're just literally saying all the things about God. You know, God is just, God is good. Uh, you know, if, if, if we suffer, it's because we've sinned and, and just basically reciting all the things that had already been said in the old Testament. But they're, but God says that they spoke wrongly about him. It's because they weren't actually speaking to God. Uh, they weren't praying to God, and they weren't. They were not basically addressing the reality of of Job's suffering, and and Job was speaking to God and being honest about. You can't pray from a place of of dishonesty. It's it's always a temptation to bring to God. Uh, the person that you think he wants you to be. Like when I want to go to God in prayer, well, what would it be like if I were someone who was worthy to approach God in prayer? Like, well, how should I posture myself? Um, you, God cannot heal you unless you, you bring yourself as you are. Uh, that's, you know, sincerity. It has to begin with sincerity. Yeah. And, and Father Boniface Hicks, his book called Personal Prayer is one of my favorite books of all time. Certainly my favorite book on prayer and he talks about how uh, in prayer the importance of being really honest because he says if we're trying to experience God's love and maybe in some sense we do if we don't experience him loving us in our brokenness and our honesty we'll we'll basically think he's loving this this mask we've put on for ourselves basically and so we can't really fully experience God's love if we're not being honest and real with him because we'll end up thinking he's loving the, the person we're presenting to him. Thanks for bearing with us there, Tony. I, I wanted to pause on that point because I thought it was just so huge. So you're, you're going through this uh, experience, you're getting all this help, and you recognize and you come to a place where you admit that you've been angry with God. So you can pick yeah. back up there. So in the... Um and all of that, like I, I recognize this deep, deep anger with God that I was also not willing to let go of yet. That's an important admission to make too, right? At the end of 2020, um, I uh, injured my right leg. And that's a whole story in of itself that I won't go into all of it with. But it was really annoying. And it deepened my anger that I had with God. It made things, it made functioning more difficult. Over the next year... Um, I did everything my doctor said. I did what the physical therapist said and my pain was still there. So, um, I was basically told like, there's a good chance I'll just have to figure out how to live with this for the rest of my life. So I, I was in this weird place of doing all of this work and seeing myself improve, right. And seeing how I was changing but at its core, there was still this anger that I had. And um, 
that's when uh, at the end of 2021, a year after the injury, um, Father Christopher reached out to me and invited me to a conference from this group, Encounter Ministries, that you all have talked about on the podcast already. And um, I knew nothing about it. What I looked up, I'll be honest, was cool, but kind of weirded me out. <laughs> um my, my like journey with the Holy Spirit has been something that's been like in stages and steps and, and all of that. And, and this is a big step. Um, so I, I went to this conference because I wasn't totally closed off, but I also, it was an opportunity to hang out with a friend for a few days. So why not? So um, I go to that conference and, and that year's conference was very big for me. Uh, it was very powerful. So um, on one level, I did experience a physical healing, which is its own story, um, but I don't want to focus on that. Um, that was big. But what else happened at that same conference on a different day um, was uh, that physical healing kind of showed me that God saw me and cared about me and loved me in a way that I had never experienced before, and it opened me up to what came next which was some other people praying with me. And I had this powerful experience of, I mean, the Lord just knocked me down. <laughs> you hear about people resting in the spirit and, um, in that, yes, you, you mean, you mean literally knocked you down, like literally yes. knocked Some, me down. Like sometimes people might not be aware of that. Yeah. So like my fat butt was on that concrete floor <laughs> and, um, and what happened there was so important because it was there that the Lord healed my inner wounds, right? He had healed kind of an outer wound and healing my leg. And then he healed some inner wounds. And I, I remember having this vision of myself as a child, like a lot of time in psychology and even in spirituality, they'll talk about um, telling you as a child that it's all going to be okay. Right. And hugging like little, little chubby Tony Cecil. And, um, and I had this vision of myself as a child and I, I was covered in wounds, which of course, like I was not like beaten as a child or anything like that, but I knew they all represented the different wounds I'd experienced through my whole life. And I had this vision of the Lord Jesus coming to me and just holding me in a, a very beautiful, tender embrace, a hug. And in that, just feeling um, all of these interior wounds, feeling like I could finally let go. Cause here's the thing we hold on to stuff as human beings, right? Without even realizing it. And I, I said this in my homily this morning, if we are holding on to things, our hands are not open to cling to Christ. And so I was holding on to the anger that I was experiencing. I was holding on to the things that people said. I was holding on to the things that people did. I was holding on to this need that I had for people to feel sorry for me because I felt like the only way that anyone could ever love me is if they felt bad for me. Right. It's like a, it's like a victim spirit. Yeah. Like a victim identity. Yeah. I was holding like on. People to can't really love me so they can at least pity me. Yeah. And what I realized in that as the Lord was healing that, was my identity had become not that I was an adopted son of God, but rather I was the guy that experienced a lot of suffering in life and still saw God in it, right? Because I did. I saw God in every instance in my childhood. I saw God at every turn 
on this crazy path he put me on until my dad died. And I saw God nowhere. And it goes back to that. I think I saw God clearly because my dad was modeling it and now he wasn't here to do it. But also what the Lord revealed to me was I wasn't holding on to him. I was holding on to this sense of almost like pride that I was going to be a priest that can minister to people who were suffering out of the experience of suffering and seeing God's fidelity in it, right? So it was less about what the Lord Jesus was doing, and it was more about what I was doing in seeing his presence, if that makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like a a spiritual pride or like I'll, I'll be able to leverage this experience in a sense, and that would that your ability to do that and to, you know, continue to have these insights into the suffering, which are all real, all true insights and true and truly finding the Lord in it. But yeah, whenever your dad passed away, I mean, people will really, you know, come to your side and will appreciate um, the reality of your suffering right in the wake of that. But even the people who are closest to you, you know, after months or a year or, you know, like, other people don't experience uh, that compassion and that empathy like nearly as long as you experience the grief. And so, like you said, like your dad was a, a big source of that for you in your life. And once he was actually gone, it's like, well, his suffering is gone. And so now what, how do I, how do I relate to people? If I've been maybe kind of in an unhealthy way, if I've been attached to being the person who accompanies my dad, who helps my dad, who, you know, uh, is connected to him spiritually in this sense uh, th- during throughout his suffering now that he's gone. Yeah. And it was the sense too. I think something else the Lord showed me was I needed to, um, I needed to give permission for the father to father me. <laughs> right. Um, because I had this thing where I was holding on to dad and I felt like if I wasn't constantly grieving and miserable, that I was a bad son and that I would forget him, and that I would move on. And um, I wanted him, just like when my brother died, right? Like, I, I wanted a big brother. And here I wanted a dad. And the father, meaning God the Father, right, was constantly reaching out, but he loves us so much. Sister Miriam James Heidland, who I have, like, the biggest nun crush on, she always talks about how kind God is and how kind the Lord Jesus is. And it's that kindness, right? The father was constantly reaching out and, and wanting to father me. And I was saying no. So in this experience at the encounter conference, it changed absolutely everything because I had a physical ailment healed, which was great. But more importantly to me is my heart was healed. And I was able to see that I had been living out of a false identity Um, And I was able to become more who God had created, who God had desired for me to be. And I was able to then see looking back in this void, right, of, of, of that last year and a half, two years of where I was so angry with God and constantly wondering where he was. Now that the Lord had healed my heart, I could look back and say, oh my gosh, there he was. There he was, there he was, there he was, right? Because, you know, the Lord 
I, I just thought about this with the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord when we're recording this a couple days ago. And um, in the presentation of the Lord, right, Jesus is brought into the temple as a, as a baby, and then he disappears. We hear nothing until he's 12, and he's lost in the temple. And then we hear nothing until he emerges at 30. Well, Jesus didn't just like vanish, right? And so it was this instance of like, just because he wasn't like standing there shouting with a neon sign over him doesn't mean he wasn't there. And that the important thing for, for me that I had kind of blinded myself to was how he was present to me and the many, many, many people that he had put in my life to help me. You know, one, one thing that has become so meaningful to me are the stations of the cross. I love the stations of the cross, in particular the fifth station, which is when Simon of Cyrene helps the Lord Jesus carry his cross. And um, why that's so important to me is as I looked back, one of the ways that I saw how God was making himself present to me were all of these people who were my Simon of Cyrene, right? Who were um, the, the therapists that I saw who would pray with me, right? And, and at the end of our meetings, um, my pastor that I was with and the great patience that he showed and, and his listening to me, my friends who um, were patient with me and, and helped me, who, who spoke the truth to me that I was loved and cared for even when I refused to believe it. <laughs> and it was really annoying and refusing to believe it, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I was able in this to look back and just see, wow, that thing that had been the echo of my dad's life, of God's fidelity and the reality that he keeps his promises was there. And it makes so much sense because God doesn't change, right? So if God was faithful in all these other instances as he was, even if I had a view of it that was not like perfectly pure or whatever, he was still faithful, which means that he is not suddenly going to be unfaithful because he doesn't change. He doesn't do that. Um, yeah. What really stands out to me in your story, Tony, first of all, thank you for sharing it. It's just so powerful. I'm just like, as you're sharing, I've, I've heard obviously all of it before, but I've heard different parts of it, all of it multiple, multiple times, times <laughs> and I've heard you share it with other people and I'm always so moved by it. And, um, just to hear it more of it kind of all together, it really, it paints such a powerful picture. What stands out to me in your story is basically the, the different like stages of healing and, and how God like respects where we're at. So, you know, in hindsight, looking at now from the place uh, of the healing you've received up to this point, the freedom that you enjoy, the peace you have with where you're at in life and in your ministry, in hindsight, you can look back at seasons in your life, whether it's in seminary or right after your dad died or whatever it might be, you can look back and think, well, here's how I wasn't really responding to that as good as I should have been. But it's really important when we look back on our lives not to like judge uh, the way that we responded to God's grace and the way that we uh, embraced healing or maybe failed to do it in different ways. It was like, if you actually knew the 
uh, like if we if any of us if we knew the depth of our of our brokenness or our misery or you know how all the ways that we were you know in some ideal sense that we were getting it wrong we would be overwhelmed uh but god is is very merciful and he's very kind as you said he's very patient oh my god slow to anger he loves so like us god is so much yeah. like i just like now that i think back on it like just seeing like, i want to cry again i'm not going to cry uh just seeing how much he loves us oh my gosh and 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 being able to see how, just as you said, if I had that experience that I had in December of 2021, in July of 2019, I wasn't ready for it. But the Lord is constantly preparing us for what's next. We have to cooperate with it, of course. He's he's never going to force it. But you're right, just seeing how the Lord is constantly preparing us for what's next and respects so much where we are. And it's because he loves us. Like that's the core of everything. And it's so cheesy, (laughs) right? Like some people say we talk too much about how God loves us and we need more hellfire and brimstone. I'm like, we don't understand what it means that God loves us. We don't understand what that means. Um, that even in those experiences of suffering, like the church calls suffering, that it can be redemptive, right? Um, because we can unite it to the suffering of Jesus. But like the the thing about the suffering of Jesus is it means that I'm never alone because the, it might've been Sister Miriam James who said it. She Someone said this, this isn't a Father Tony Cecil original. Um, but like the fascinating privilege of human suffering is that no matter what we experience, God is there first, right? And he's there to accompany us so that we're not alone, but he's also there preparing us if we agree with it, if we say yes to him. He's there preparing us for what's going to come next. And what's going to come next might still be difficult, but it's leading you down a path of healing and of freedom. I had this misunderstanding of the church's theology of suffering, I saw the site and I still do see it. Everything that I've experienced, all that my dad experienced, all that the people that I love and care for have experienced is all like so beautiful, even in its horror. <laughs> right. But that's not, we, we can fall into this trap of thinking that this is it. Right. Like I said, like my identity was, I'm going to be this guy who suffers <laughs> and that's how people are going to love me. That's what I'm going to minister out of. And this is it. But the word that you've used a couple times that I love so much that I feel now is freedom, right? That the, the suffering we experience can help us unite to Christ. And why did Christ suffer? To bring us freedom. Um, Amen. Because in the suffering, Amen. he's helped me let go of those things I have been holding on to <laughs> so that I could cling to him. And I'm still not very good at it. <laughs> all the time um something something else that strikes me you said like you know we don't talk enough about how god loves us we don't understand enough about how god loves us was striking to me in your story is how and you had received so much religious formation religious education uh, growing up in school and then especially in seminary 
the philosophy of theology, just all these like profound ideas about understanding the world, understanding God, understanding our human nature, I, all this intellectual formation and pastoral formation. Um, you, your healing is the most powerful healing you received of, of recognizing and receiving the gift of sonship is literally like the most basic point. We had an episode, you know, recently on identity. And when you talk about identity, it can sound like you said, almost cheesy or so simple, but it was actually going back to that basic point and really believing it and being convinced of it that just like totally transformed you. And so, but my point is that all the other growth and formation and healing and like the learning that you did, none of that was lost. It's not like, it's not like a chronological thing. Like, well, I gotta go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, and I gotta start over. It's like, no, you, all that growth has really happened. All that maturity, the, the, the skills, the, the knowledge, all that is still there. It's just, it's being kind of held captive. You're not able to, uh, give yourself out. And something that occurred to me as you were sharing earlier was you were not able to become a spiritual father as a priest until you truly became a, a son as a priest. Uh, you know, obviously we call priest father, priests have a role of spiritual fatherhood, but you were not able to step into fatherhood, the fatherhood that you had received your ordination because you were not yet ready to receive fully receive uh, that gift of sonship. So that's, just, I wanted to point that out and to maybe transition us, um, kind of wanted to conclude with, if you could share about how this experience of, of healing, uh, the, I mean, not just physical, but really, uh, most importantly, the identity, as you mentioned, how has that experience changed your priesthood, changed your ministry? And I, I know you've shared with me uh, lots of, of specific instances where you've kind of, you've been really emboldened and you've stepped out with a confidence and with a faith. So, I mean, you can share whatever you want, but just um, maybe paint a picture for us of of the fruits that that healing bore in your priestly ministry uh, in particular, like since that, that healing happened. Or maybe just even to say it another way, what it's looked like for you to have a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And people can wonder like, well, you know, you said about you've had a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit and people can wonder, well, you're a priest. Did you not learn about that? Well, yeah, of course we have, <laughs> but there's a, a deeper walking in that relationship. What has it looked like for you to partner more deeply with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it, it's really the, like the key, the the overarching key is is transitioning from like, and, and Father Christopher was taught mentioning that, like uh, the intellectual formation and all that. The key is transitioning from simply knowing about Jesus, simply knowing about God the Father, knowing about the Holy Spirit, and really knowing them, right? Like, I can know about you all, your priests, I know your diocese, I know your ages, I know your parishes, but knowing you entails relationship. And so I think the big key has been what Father Christopher called out in accepting my identity, not as this one who suffers and can see God in the mess, but rather as a son of God and accept my sonship and accept that, yes, my father 
my dad taught me how to father in so many practical ways. <laughs> so often in my ministry, I like everyone has that moment as they get older where they're like, oh crap, I'm turning into my parents. That happens all the time, right? Like I see how I react to things and I'm like, that's exactly how dad would have handled that. But at the same time, it's even bigger in seeing and letting God the Father father me. It's putting my ministry, it's putting everything into his hands and trying, and I fail at this sometimes a lot, to really rely on the fact that he's faithful and that he is going to lead me and help me figure out what to do. I say all the time, I'm the youngest priest in my diocese. I am, after three years as a priest, I was given a, a rather large parish with a school. Um, <laughs> and people are often like, why are you here? I don't know, because the Lord wanted me here. But I have to, and I think that's been the change is now, especially in stepping into the role that I've been given as a pastor it's been trying to cultivate a rather radical reliance on the Holy Spirit to let him be the one who is driving the ship to um, pray constantly. <laughs> and by that, I don't mean sitting or kneeling in my chapel and my rectory. I mean going into what I know is going to be a difficult conversation in the midst of it when someone is not happy with me, when someone is happy with me, like, just letting the Holy Spirit lead. Um, but I also think it has changed in that when I minister to other people, there is now this sense of expectation that God can and will do something if we give him permission, right? So much, because uh, I saw that in, in, in my own, in the physical healing that I experienced, nothing was happening and I was wrapped up in this anger until in my heart I said, Lord, if you want to do it, like, prove it to me. Do it. You have permission, right? And that got me to a place in the healing of my heart where I saw, okay, God can do something, so he can do it here too. And that's flooded over into my ministry of so many situations where I don't have the life experience. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the whatever, <laughs> right? But <clears throat> relying on... Um, on giving God permission to, to be in charge and to know that he's faithful, to know that he's going to do something if we let him and really encouraging the people that I serve to do the same thing. That has been the biggest change. And it is sometimes the scariest thing, but it is the most life-giving thing at the same time. Like I said earlier, I said it kind of passingly, um, I don't think passingly is a word, but it is now. I said it in a passing way. Um, so often I'm just like, Jesus, fix it. <laughs> like, I'm going to give this to you. Tell me what to do. Um, or just work it out. You have permission to, right? Yeah, I just, I, I remember in some of the particular stories you've shared with me of like, praying with people for healing or, you know, the word, the Lord giving you some kind of uh, insight, some kind of word of knowledge or some kind of, um, in a situation, I just been blown away at like your boldness. Um, just knowing some of the insecurity and things that you dealt with years ago. And also just, I mean, relatively compared to maybe 
my brother or I or other people of like, you haven't spent a ton of time like, um, I don't know, like diving into maybe like books or, I mean, I, I'm not saying you haven't done anything, but like, it just didn't take that much. It's like once you, once you experience that physical healing and that inner healing, you were kind of like springboarded into it. And so just like some of those stories of like, you're like with the anointing, um, some of those people and things like, I was just like, I have seen a lot of things and I've, you know, read a lot of things and I've around a lot of these people for a while now. And I'll admit, like, I just don't have the same level of boldness. So if you had anything that maybe just like one short, couple of short stories or anything that comes to mind of, of like what it looked like concretely for you, um, giving the door permission and giving the Holy Spirit room to work in ways that would make I think most priests and even a lot of people like uncomfortable with like, well, what if, what if, you know, nothing happens or like, uh, it's been really amazing to hear. Yeah. Cause I think people can just say, yeah, like we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. And as an idea in principle, it makes sense. Well, God's powerful. He has the initiative. So get behind what the Spirit's doing. But I don't think we often know concretely what that will actually entail. Like, it's very easy just to say, come Holy Spirit and guide us, but not actually allow yourself to be interrupted or challenged in daily circumstances. Yeah, I think a big thing for me has been... um Certainly, Father Christopher knows this because of some of my background um, and parts of it that I haven't shared here. Um, I have a difficult time letting people in, and so um, I'm better at, than I was, right? But once I let the Lord in and I saw what He does so concretely, it's like, why would I not? <laughs> like, why would I not give Him my parish? Why would I not give Him? my ministry at the high school I'm chaplain of? Why would I not give him everything? Um, I guess it's kind of like a go big or go home thing. Like, all right, Lord, we're going to do this. And part of it too is I, yeah, I've had insecurity. I've had all of that, but I think something else is I've, I've never been afraid of being in front of or being with people. I'm very much a people person. And that's been a big part of this that I think has made me more comfortable. Like I say dumb things all the time. Um, I have foot and mouth moments like other people do, but I think it's this, like when I was in high school, I did, I did speech and I did theater and they said that the key was getting to a place where you could make, um, a fool of yourself and in front of hundreds of people and not care. Right. So I think practically speaking, that's helped too. Um, yeah, that's freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Father Christopher, you're going to say something. Just, yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of our conversation with with Laura Shoulders on on fear of man. It's basically just like training yourself out of the fear of man, and and you know, uh, I'm not going to let what people might think of me in this situation prevent me from uh, embracing what God might want to do in this. Yeah, situation. because we're putting up a roadblock, we're putting up a barrier, and I lived so long putting up all these barriers to God. And I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> so um, I guess some examples, the the, fair, the very first one was shortly after, and, and I share this story a lot, was shortly after I had that experience at the Encounter Ministries conference of, of my physical, my emotional healing. Go ahead. I, 
I really like the fact that you emphasize the importance of the emotional and spiritual healing, but could you maybe just give us like, I don't know, uh, just a brief version of that story of your physical healing? Cause I think it's cool to hear it. And it's not just like, yeah, I mean, it was, my knee was kind of hurting and you know, I just felt, felt better afterwards. I mean, it was, yeah. So the, the more significant than that. Yeah. So I very severely sprained my ankle, which sounds like minimal, but the doctor said it would have been better if I broke it. And a year later, I, so the state I was in is walking was incredibly painful. Driving was incredibly painful. Going up the stairs, I had to take one stair at a time. Um, and, and that issue was going up into my knee, into my hip and into my back. So like my lower right half was just in constant pain. And at that encounter conference, the same was true. We were walking a lot on concrete floors. There were stairs, there were all of this. And we're standing a lot and I was just in a place of incredible physical pain and still wrapped up in that anger. Uh, And Father Christopher was sitting next to me and this woman out of the blue comes up and she's like, oh my gosh, young priest. And I'm like, oh, leave me alone. (laughs) Not now. (laughs) Not now. And um, she's like, "Uh, I don't want to be rude, but you look miserable. And I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Like, that's so nice of you. So I told her briefly, I'm in a lot of pain. And she's like, well, have you ever asked God to heal it? And I remember thinking, I didn't say this because I'm a priest and I'm supposed to be nice. But I remember thinking, what a stupid question. (laughs) Because God doesn't do that anymore, (laughs) except in these radical cases of, you know, when, when a saint needs a miracle. Um, but if he did do it more frequently, like I'm garbage, <laughs> he would never, and I'm angry with him. He would never do this for me. So she asked if her and her friend, if she could go get some friends to pray with me. And I said, yes. And then I almost turned to father Christopher and was like, let's run. <laughs> uh, but I, I, <laughs> I had heard of that part. Yeah. <laughs> like I so badly so wanted funny. to say, let's get out of here. Um, but she came back, she came with friends and I remember father Christopher, like got on the floor and put his hand on my foot and all these people had hands on my shoulders and stuff. And I'm so uncomfortable at this point. I'm so wrapped up in anger and they're praying and I feel nothing and I'm getting angrier. And I don't know why I I think there was the tiniest little crack, you know, that the Lord snuck into. I just remember saying like, Lord, if you want to do something, do it. But in a way of like, prove it, prove that this is real. I give you permission, do it. And like right then, I mean, my legs on fire, bones are shifting. My foot had been out of alignment for my whole life. It came back into alignment. So like, I I was holding onto his like ankle, like lower leg area. And I felt like a shifting in his leg. Like it was like, oh, what's that? Yeah. So, um, and immediately after, right? Like when the Lord, um, like today's gospel, right, was was Jesus healing uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and like immediately she got up and served them. So um, I immediately could do stuff that I hadn't been able to do, and all the pain was gone. And and then that led into I think the next day when I experienced that emotional healing. But in, in ministering to people, I now saw that God would actually do stuff <laughs> if we let Him, and if it's His will. You know, it doesn't always happen. Um, And so shortly after I got back home and I'm like, okay, how do I like integrate this into my real life? And I get called to the hospital, excuse me, I get called to the hospital early in the morning 
which is never good <laughs> when we get called to the hospital early in the morning. And it was like 2 a.m. maybe. And I uh, checked in with the nurse and the nurse said the patient was in his 30s. No way he's going to make it. Um, and just, you know, do what we do for some when someone's dying. And I walk in and the guy's whole family is there. He's hooked up. You know, those little like monitors that they'll run IVs through. And I counted it's either 11 or 17. Both of those numbers are sticking to me, but like a large amount of machines. Like I had to move them out of the way to get to him to anoint him. And more than a couple, more than a couple, like a lot like this, <laughs> more than a handful. This dude was hooked up to a lot of beeping things. And I was, um, I remember ask, I always ask the family to stand around the bed with me and to lay hands on the person if they want to do that. And like I had done that before, but I remember going to anoint him and I remember the strong urge whenever someone is going to die, I always give them the apostolic pardon, but I had this like strong urge to not do that <laughs> and to not pray the commendation for the dying. Like I had a strong that's, that's, urge. That's boldness. This that's guy boldness is not right going to die. I know. Um, so I did it. And I remember praying like, Lord, like this is a sacrament of healing. So if you want to heal this guy, do it. And so I anoint him with this expectation. Um, and I told the family, we're, we're praying for him to be healed because it could happen. He's a young guy, like all of these factors that I just saw, like anyways. So I get home, I go back to bed and an hour, two hours later, my phone rings and I wake up again and the nurse is like, father, I don't know what happened. But after you left, this dude started turning around and he's unhooked from everything. He's up in bed, he's talking. And like a month later, he had to go to like physical rehab and all this stuff and get some medications. Right. Um, a month later he's at mass <laughs> and praise Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> and that's my favorite thing to say is, if you, if you give the Lord permission, he will blow your mind all the time. So that was kind of the first time anything like that happened. Um, and actually expect something too. Cause you've, cause you've done some of those similar things like the anointing, happy will pray, but there's a greater sense of expectancy, not just expectancy for yourself, but you also like created the atmosphere of faith in the room with everybody by, by telling them like, yeah, I'm praying for him to be healed. Not just even like your own sort of mental expectancy, which is important. But And there are times yeah. when like that hasn't happened. Like I've gone in and I haven't felt that, right? So I'm not saying like I neglect the apostolic pardon to people. I don't do that. I throw that thing out as often as I can. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it, it's the difference between going through the motions and being a sacramental machine and believing that what we do is real. Like that was the change. Um, and since then there have been other instances of this, uh, particularly I've seen such great grace come through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Um, but also, um, the, the, the thing with the Holy spirit that has always freaked me out the most <laughs> are, um, uh, what were they called? Like words of knowledge. Like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, when, when we're having a healing service and, and someone, you know, oh, the Lord told me 
he wants to heal someone's like left knee. I'm like, did he <laughs> like what's going on there? But just, uh, yesterday I, I texted father Christopher and I said, um, uh, we were, or no, well, not yesterday. Gosh, time is like a weird warp Friday. Um, we had this event. It was not a healing service. It was just like praise and worship, adoration, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, <clears throat> Laura was there and she was speaking and I, I was paying attention to what she said. I promise. <laughs> Cause I know she's going to listen to this, but while she was speaking, I just had this like thought popped in my head of like, there's something with someone's left eye. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like why? So I'm like, okay, I have to remember something with someone's left eye, something with someone's left eye. And, um, I remembered there was a guy who a couple months ago told me that he had, he's very young. He's, he's about my age and he, um, he went to the eye doctor and he had the beginnings, what could turn into macular degeneration in his eyes and cause him to go blind. And he wasn't specific on like what eye it was in. And so he just popped into my mind. And, and I remember we had had this conversation. He was like, is this something I could or should get anointed for? And I'm like, well, anointing is technically if you're at the beginning of being in danger of death, there's all of this yada, yada, yada. Um, and he never told me what happened. And so I, I texted him and said, Hey, that eye issue, one, is it still there? And two, which eye is it in? And he said, um, he was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you. He was like, well, first it was, I asked him, is it in your left eye? And he said, yes, it was my left eye. And he said, I um, had been uh, home on a break and I, I went and asked the priest to pray with me and the priest decided to anoint me. So, you know, whatever your theology is, it was that priest's decision, don't attack me. And the priest decided to anoint me. And he said, I went to the doctor, to a specialist that I had been assigned to go see because of this condition. And my eye was perfectly fine. Like all of it was gone and it was in his left eye. And he said, I was literally just having a conversation with someone about how I was struggling in my own faith was with, did God heal me? Or was this just a misdiagnosis? Like he was struggling with doubt at that very moment that I sent him a message about this. So then we're offering prayer ministry to people. And I just say like, I, uh, there's something with someone's left eye. If you have an issue with a left eye, will you please come see me? And this woman was there and she walked up and interrupted me. I was talking with someone else and, um, and I went to speak with her and she took off her glasses and I could see her left eye was like bloodshot. And I'm like, so is that hurt? Is it painful? Is it causing something with your vision? And she was like, no, I just woke up this way. And she said, however, before um, the Lord had healed this pain I had in my elbow for like years, like it was totally gone and it had come back. And she's like, I've been struggling with this doubt and feeling like my faith wasn't strong enough and feeling that, that it wasn't real and that it was like a placebo effect or whatever. And I wanted so badly to ask someone to pray for me again and to help me through that. But I was so embarrassed. I decided I wasn't going to. But then when you said there's some issue with someone with their left eye, she was like, well, no one else came up and my left eye is like bloodshot. So maybe it's me. Um, 
So we prayed together and her elbow was fine. <laughs> her elbow was healed again. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's giving the Lord permission and expecting the Lord to do something and, and seeing how even if there's not, like we focus a lot, I think we can focus a lot on physical healing, but even like talking with her through like her, what's going on in her own heart. And even that guy, right, who had, who had the issue with his eye, what's changed in his own heart in, in experiencing this is really, really important. Yeah, that's so incredible. Thank you for, again, for sharing that, that story. And like you highlighted in your own story and that you've identified in, in some of these other people's lives as well, it's like, why does the Lord heal? I know we had a whole episode on healing, but like, the physical healing it convicts us of God's goodness, convicts us that God sees us, that he knows us, uh, he cares about everything that's going on in our life. And that really opens people to like new levels of faith and new levels of trust in him, trust in his mercy. Uh, when he heals your ankle or your elbow, like, well, he does everything he does because he loves us. <laughs> like it can just be that simple and it's okay to be that simple. Like even the affliction that we experience in our lives can be a pathway to experiencing his love in a deeper way. So everything is, I hear, you might hear my dog. My dog is running in here. Um, hi, Gertie. <laughs> um, everything goes back to that. Like everything that happens is because he loves us. Yeah, that's a perfect way, I think, to to put a bow on like on your whole story and everything that you shared is like everything that happened to you, uh you you God was loving you through it all. God was loving you in it all, convincing you of his faithfulness, uh, of his goodness. And as soon as you came to believe in it fully for yourself, and obviously we're always being more and more convinced of God's goodness, but like the more you became convinced of it for yourself and you allowed yourself to receive it, that then empowered you and propelled you into to mission. And so I think that's just a, like, if I, I mean, there's so much we can take away from your story and I know our listeners are going to be blessed by it as we have been, but that's a huge takeaway for me is that uh, it's not selfish to like tend to your own healing to work on no, your own we have God. to like we have yeah. to work on our own stuff <laughs> right in order to help other people like you have to you have to and if you haven't like when i did hospital ministry when i was in seminary our supervisor always said if you don't deal with your stuff it will come out of you sideways in a way that is ugly or scandalous or what have you like it like, yeah, let, let the Lord in. And because you also can't help other people have this experience if you've not experienced it yourself, right? Like you have to let the Lord in, give him permission, work with him, partner with him and see what he does because then you're going to believe it and you're going to buy in. <laughs> right? Like I was really struck uh, a few months ago when we were reading from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians at mass. And he was talking about how they were like better evangelizers than him. <laughs> right. Like he's like, you are doing stuff that I haven't done. And it was because they saw Paul had this radical experience with the Lord, gave the Lord permission. Um, 
expected the Lord to do something, and he witnessed to that to the Thessalonians, and they had that experience, and then they could do it to all the people that were coming. Yeah, there's it's the law of like spiritual multiplication. I mean, just the the Lord will multiply every every all of our obedience and our desire to just do what He's He's calling us to do. Think about that woman at the encounter conference. Uh, it's a simple. She I think she was a student in the encounter school. Like just this like middle aged middle aged lady, right? Her middle aged lady, and it's like I see a priest sitting there who looks like he's not having a good time. I'm gonna strike up a conversation with him. Oh, his ankle hurts. I'm gonna pray for his ankle and expect it to be healed. Um, we don't know, like the the spiritual consequences of that. I mean, the physical consequences of that are just tremendous. God multiplies it. Like who that guy you pray for in the hospital? Would you have prayed with that kind of expectancy? Would you have, you know, encouraged those people to be expectant if that hadn't happened to you? So it's just even small little impressions that the Lord gives you of like, maybe I should pray for that person. Maybe I should ask them about that. Maybe I should encourage them with this simple word. Like, I feel like the Lord said this thing to me in prayer that could encourage uh, him or her. Maybe I should share that and not, you know, chicken out. And what could the fruit of it be? It could be amazing and then then there's you know the 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 ripple effect that continues and continues so and and what you're saying father christopher is so to the core of who we are as catholic christians because what you're saying is very eucharistic right what happens in the eucharist we take very little (laughs) like bread that tastes like cardboard and sometimes like really gross wine (laughs) and we take that and we offer it to the Lord. We sacrifice it to the Lord for the salvation of the world. That's not going to cut it, right? But the Lord takes the little bit that we give him. And like, yeah, there was a monk who said, I sin enough when the alarm goes off that that cheap bread and wine's not going to cover it. So it's this sense of like, we take this little bit that we have and we give it to the Lord with faith and with expectation. And the Lord takes it from us and he makes it something far greater than we ever could and he gives it back and now we have something we can sacrifice now we have something we can offer because we have jesus and then the same is true with what you're saying the little things that we do <laughs> to give the lord permission he takes and he transforms it yeah yeah and everything was connected like the physical healing opened you up to the emotional hearing emotional healing, right? And then that led to a whole lot of other things, deeper levels of freedom. And then now your parishioners can experience you more as a whole spiritual father, not to say that you weren't offering them anything before, but you are operating less out of a place of performance, more out of a place of freedom and, and really authentic love and authentic spiritual fatherhood. And then, you know, there are these families being impacted by you, touched by you, and then they're touching other people. And so, yeah, we can be very aware of how pervasive evil can be, but just to be aware of that act of goodness. For me, it's been really cool just to see the transformation the Lord has has brought you. It's just amazing. I mean, hearing some of these stories from you and testimonies, and I mean, yeah, I thought you were a great guy before too, but just it's just really beautiful just to see how the Lord is. And it seems to be, I don't know if you're exper- you describe it this way as even like as exponential. So I just think it's just really exciting just to see the power of God's grace at work in your life. Uh, yeah, maybe just to uh, maybe just to conclude, if you just have any like last final thoughts you want to share with people. But besides that, if you just want to close us with a prayer, 
uh, just just praying for all the listeners. Father Tony. Yeah, I think um, I don't know. I don't know that I have a closing thought other than just even repeat to yourself the truth in those moments that are difficult. That God is faithful. That God keeps His promises, and that even if you don't see Him, He's present to you, because all of those are true. <laughs> And there's nothing that we can do to make it untrue. Um, okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of yourself that you've given us. We thank you for um, the reality that you are faithful, that you keep your promises, and that you are present to us always, even in uh, moments of great difficulty. And that through the suffering that you endured, uh, you teach us how it can be beautiful and life-giving. We thank you for the freedom that your suffering won for us. We thank you for the gift of sending your Holy Spirit to guide us. Help us to always uh, see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Help us to trust your Holy Spirit. Help us to be bold. Help us to be... Uh, faithful. And we ask all of this in your holy name. Amen. Well, thank you, Father Tony. It's been, thank you just for being really honest and vulnerable. And I don't, I know that people don't always get to hear priests just be very transparent and vulnerable, but I think it's, I think it's something very powerful to, because it really allows someone to hear how God has, has worked in your life. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for, um, thank you for uh, letting me on here <laughs> and listening to me uh, talk. You and, and Gertie, and this beautiful conversation and Gertie's little footsteps. I have no idea where she is. She's probably tearing up something. Oh, here she comes. But, um, but thank you all for this gift. This was a beautiful opportunity and a beautiful time. Thank you. Thank you.